And welcome back to Australia's longest-running and most infrequent Doctor Who podcast, 42 to Doomsday. I'm Rob. And I'm Mark. And to celebrate our 10th year on the airwaves, we took two months off. After a delightful break involving beer, beaches and some more beer, we kick off 2023 by staying true to ourselves as we cover the niche topics that no one else dares go near. That's right. We get all parochial and discuss with Mike Pummel how the Australian censors had their wicked ways with Doctor Who and other shows in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s. And happy first quarter of 2023, everybody. Uh, Rob, how are you, sir? Just getting the accounts ready for the accountant, Mark. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, buddy. Yes, we've been off the air for a few um, months. Uh, look, I did make an appearance on the January episode of the Doctor Who show. If you want to uh, have a listen to that, that was a good fun with that bloody bowl of Russell on giving me a, a hernia. <laughs> and uh, yes, I went to Tasmania. Just life and work's got in the way, but we thought, look, we'll uh, get back on the horse and start the radio again, eh, Rob? Giddy up, I say, giddy up. So, what's been happening? Mate. I've been looking at the Telos website, just uh, salivating at some of the books that are, have been announced and are, and are coming mm. out uh, later in the year. So yeah, that's been my lot for the last couple of months. I've, I've burnt all my uh, JB Hi-Fi vouchers and all the money that was given to me. So just hoping, hoping and praying that someone will just donate money to me. Maybe we should up should set up a Patreon account, mate, for my book buying, uh, Doctor Who book buying. What do you think? Uh, no. But, <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, that was definitive, folks. If you want to buy some more stuff, mate, uh, get a third job. I used to have three jobs back in the 90s. Uh, I don't think I slept for at least six years, so that was fun. No Patreon, mate. Maybe, a, was it Kofi? You can do a Kofi, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Kofi account. You could buy me a coffee. They, they do that. Like There's a little tip jar. Do we have a YouTube account, mate, where we can just everyone just tick, uh, click on the tip jar? We've got a YouTube account, but I actually never posted anything on there yet. I have these plans. I have these dreams. You have for... to wait for retirement, mate. <sighs> and you'll have all the world time in the world. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Who will probably be off the air again by the time we reach that uh, mm. stage. Good to be back in the saddle for the moment, eh? Yes, definitely. Looking forward to celebrating uh, our 10th year as a podcasting uh, dream team. Look, we have got a roadmap in terms of uh, what we've got planned for the uh, upcoming year. Before we go to our main topic, Rob, what are we going to talk about next episode, hopefully? Well, I'm really excited, Mark. As you know, and as many, 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 many thousands of our listeners, according to the downloads anyway, know, Late last year, we interviewed uh, Australian um, collectibles retailer Aaron Challenger about the uh, deceased estates uh, slash hoard he discovered or came across uh, in a well-heeled suburb of Melbourne. As listeners to that uh, episode would remember, uh, Aaron spent many a week uh, working on that to save audiovisual material that dated back at least to the 1970s. Uh, and in doing so, um, came into contact with a professor of media studies at an Australian university who was willing to take on the uh, collection of the entire uh, collection, as it were, of audiovisual material uh, for use in his course. And Mark, we can announce that we will have him on our next episode to discuss uh, all things about, you know, taking on the hoard, how he intends to use it, uh, the impact uh, of any discoveries that may have on the Australia's uh, television uh, landscape in terms of its history. Uh, I, for one, am quite excited to have him on. Agree. He's also a big Doctor Who fan, so we'll obviously uh, talk about Doctor Who as well and his history with the program. We'll sort of uh, 
we'll sort of mesh that into the into the episode. So it should be a wide ranging conversation. So stay tuned to your socials, as the youngsters say. Uh, we will obviously make an announcement when that episode is due. Uh, but stay tuned, as someone now dead used to say. But before we sort of get into the uh, main topic, let's do a little bit of housekeeping first, shall we? So, you know, Doctor Who companions, they don't turn up here for years and years, and all of a sudden, like a bus, the two of them bloody turn up at once. We've got Janet Fielding is coming uh, down under to Sydney, uh, Brisbane, and the wonderful city of Hobart, which I uh, went to last month. And can I just say, I loved Tasmania, especially Hobart. Great food, great wine, great gin. Just say that you're an alcoholic now, Mark, and admit it. Uh, She's heading down under in April. Uh, She'll be at uh, Sydney on April the 1st. Uh, 2023 and in Hobart of the 15th of April 2023 and Brisbane 23rd of April 2023 as well so but that's happening courtesy of friends at the Sirens of Audio and there is also another one turning up Sophie Aldred she's going to be in Sydney Ace herself yes she'll be in Sydney on the 13th of May 2023 as well so I'll be putting up links uh, in our podcasting descriptions uh, about where you can find information on that. What I understand is it's going to be a genuine fan-run event. If you're in the area, get yourselves down there. Prices are reasonable. Of course, those two are coming off the bat of uh, it's appalling last episode. So, yes. And just as we've been speaking, a friend of the podcast, uh, Dave Hoskin, has actually just messaged me a an image of a column I wrote for Sonic Screwdriver 30 years ago. I'll just read this out because I've completely forgotten that I wrote this, but I I said this about the new adventures. Uh, The new adventures, while being largely harmless, have also been a grave disappointment. (laughs) Off the top of my head, there have been only three great books, Exodus, Revelation, and Love and War. All the rest have been substandard science fiction garbage or turgid, repetitive, (laughs) banal rubbish. And this actually links up with uh, Sophie Aldred coming to Australia. Uh, I go on by uh, saying the development of Ace has been an absolute disaster. <laughs> and you reckon I'm brutal and critical. Oh, my God. I, go, I said McCoy's doctor is now so dark he's positively pitch black. And the great <laughs> shame of the whole thing has been the utter waste of opportunity that Benny has been. Peter Darville Evans has unfortunately dropped the bundle, I'm afraid, almost from day one. His great success has been maintaining the show's profile and getting Terence Dix to write a truly great Doctor Who novel. Paul Cornell has been worth the effort, though no future was a grave disappointment. I like the word grave. Mm. Hopefully, Mm. he will be able to redeem himself with goth opera. So ending that on a positive note, that just actually literally came through in the last two minutes, so I thought I'd share that. Jeez, full of bile. Mm. Well, things haven't changed in 30 years, mate. All right, I've slightly derailed things, Mark. So what are we talking about in this episode? We're going to be talking about censorship in Doctor Who, what those wacky Australian censors found a little bit too frightening. And now on to our main topic, which is censorship of Doctor Who in Australia during those wonderful decades, the 60s, 70s and the 80s. And to help us navigate through the censorship journey that Australia uh, went through, we've got Mike Pummel, a friend of the podcast, and also he's been recently up to uh, Sydney to visit the Australian uh, archives up there to uh, go through all their notes. So welcome, uh, Mike, to 42's of Doomsday. How are you tonight, sir? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you on again, Mike. I, I remember our last chat, uh, ooh, was it about 18 months ago during the height of COVID and uh, it was a very popular episode. Well, yeah. four people listened to us. It's actually better than what we usually do. So it's about 75% higher than it usually is. During that episode, you were mentioning that you started to do some background investigating in terms of uh, shows that were shown over here and 
You even sort of talk about was being shown in mining. I was going to say mining colonies, but mining towns. But post that uh, conversation, just bring us up to speed in terms of where you, you got up to in terms of your research. Mark, I went up to Sydney um, ostensibly to look for two things. One was uh, about the, the censorship files. It's a bit difficult to find some stuff based on the finding aids at uh, National Archives, but I managed to find some. And I also um, had a look at some other shows, whether they were broadcast here and a bit of history about what the ABC did with these programs and why they rejected them and how they sort of went about um, choosing programs. Um, And I discovered quite a few interesting facts, actually. Didn't you, Mike, discover the censorship notes for uh, the two men who viewed uh, the Daleks' master plan? Yes, I did. So I got a copy of that because it was relatively straightforward using the uh, article that Damien Shanahan wrote for Zarenza. Um, and he actually um, gave the um, series um, uh, information and I used that series information to order copies of the uh, actual files. And uh, National Archives in their want, you pay for it and then they publish it and everybody can see it. That was actually quite useful and that was used on the Missing Episodes podcast to do their um, uh, information about uh, the Dalek master plan, the one that Reese went through um, yes. in great detail. And so that was really useful. And that sort of um, inspired me to actually go up there and actually have a look at some stuff. They identified some records that were worth looking at and some that I couldn't find and which will and unfortunately, we can't discuss them in any great detail, but there is some that we can discuss. You were very kind enough to share those uh, viewing notes uh, for DMP and just being able to read through what the two gentlemen in question thought was worth cutting. It was a link back to that time and, you know, two men watching the episode during the course of, I suppose, a day and writing about it. It was almost but not quite there with them, just, you know, being able to peer over their shoulder almost as they wrote their, their thoughts about what needed to be cut from the episodes. Yeah, it's interesting that the ABC assessed, they auditioned every single um, program um, that came into Australia so that they could say yes or no. The not every episode, but every episode of Doctor Who was auditioned, probably for something that we'll talk about later for reasons that become obvious. Many times the assessor was actually watching the episode at the same time as the censors. So they were writing their notes for their assessing notes at the same time the censors were writing notes. And so so they were picking up information. And then they were talking, one of the things in the film assessors reports that has information regarding censorship. And it says that censors have said that this rated this or that, or this has to be cut out. Sometimes they're going by what they think the censors may actually cut out, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes they're wrong. And a lot of it affects their scheduling, which became important uh, that they'd had programs set for a particular time slot at a particular time and sometimes the censors um, you know have been a bit harsher than the ABC would have thought they would have been and they've actually sort of um, had to postpone the broadcast of those programs um, sometimes up to two to three years. And just before we dive in I just want to get uh, just clarification for everyone listening the organization that had oversight on classifying material, visual, audiovisual material coming to Australia was the... It's the Office of Film and Classification. Yeah, so censorship board's probably an easy way to sort of call them. Okay. They've had various names over the years. Right. And they and the ABC were also in parallel uh, trying to anticipate, I suppose, what the, the censors were going yeah. to hand down. They were also viewing this material and writing up, you know, notes, I suppose, contemporaneously. Yes, sometimes at the same time the censorship viewing was done, uh, sometimes not. So it, it varied. The Doctor Who ones all seem to be at the same time, though. And did you find or have you found in, in the material that you've seen 
that uh, the ABC and the sensors were, you know, 70 to 80% matching what they, they thought would needed to, to go? Yeah, I, I think so. There's a few instances, and I haven't sort of found everything, so there's probably more, but there's a few instances whereby the ABC think that something could be rated A, for instance, as it was in that time, A, which is you know, adult, which is probably the equivalent of PG now, that they thought it was a PG-rated show, but sensors have said no, and it's an adults-only AO or M-rated programs. It has to be shown at a later time slot. That there are, There have been instances of that. But generally speaking, if they're watching it with the sensors, then they have a fair idea what's going to happen. And that will affect what their programming is going to do. There was a, an example of a children's, well, allegedly children's program called the OWL service um, in the very early 70s, in which they had some issues with that over censorship. They thought it was a program that could be shown like six o'clock in the evening, as it was in the UK, I think. And it was based on a classic novel, a children's novel, but the censors didn't like it. And they, well, obviously, if you watch it, you probably work out why. But there's, you know, it took three years for it to be broadcast and it had to be broadcast at a 7.30 time slot because of the what the censors had um, actually said about the show. So they could, they had to reprogram it much, much later. Did they edit it though, Mike, or just basically? Yes, it was edited. It was edited, ep- yeah. Two episodes were edited even for a 7.30 time slot. That's based on the Alan Garner book, the L service. Yes, it's the Alan Garner book, yes. It's more about sort of awakening teenage sexuality and stuff like that. It's a bit heavy going, I'd say, for a children's time slot, but there was a lot of British sort of allegedly children's shows coming out at that time that were quite, well, between then and, and particularly in the 70s that were quite sort of, Risque, more, would you say, Mike? Well, <laughs> young young adult might be the best yeah. way to describe it. The BBC version of the Grassy Junior High about 20 years earlier. Now, before we launch into it, uh, the reason for doing this episode, Mark, is? Well, in Australia, it's common knowledge that the uh, Caves of Andrazani uh, Part 4 print that was shown here was slightly truncated, and I'm being uh, air quotes there, down from its original 24 and a half minutes. I think it was about five minutes it was shown <laughs> on our on our screens. Censorship of Doctor Who has been quite problematic from the, obviously from when the show started being broadcast here in 1965, all the way up to really um, revelation of the Daleks. So, and of course, along that journey, uh, attitudes change and the governments change as well. And it's interesting to watch the journey of what the censors decided to cut out in the 60s as opposed to sort of going through the 70s and the 80s where the cuts were very much different to what was, um, you know, proposed 20 years ago. So we thought we'd have a bit of an overview on on what the censors hacked out over here. Obviously, that'll be embellished with some of the new research that Mike's been able to uh, uncover as well. And what we'll do is towards the tail end of the discussion is obviously talk about some other shows that were affected by our Australian uh, censors. What we think would be fairly tame television to what really set the censors' uh, heart rate going over here. What has always confused me is if Doctor Who, good for the children of the mother country, why was it that various stabbings and injections, et cetera, et cetera, back in the 60s and 70s were verboten? I've never understood that thinking. If it was good enough for the Brits, why wasn't it good enough for us? I think in the in the sixties, in particular, Australia had a reputation for being fairly conservative as far as sort of TV and films were concerned. There were a lot of films that were banned or heavily cut and stuff like that during the sixties as well. And I think that the BBC's output, as well as the other TV companies in in the UK, I think that they were playing for a British audience. But it was slightly different thing. The censors thought that we were all sort of I don't know that we were 
know, we were shocked by anything. Um, <laughs> even though we had a reputation as sort of beer swilling and all that sort of stuff. But it was two types of things as well. One was sort of violent sort of stuff with Doctor Who, but also it was stuff that the, the censors perceived and they thought, and I'm using, you know, inverted commas there again, thought was going to be scary for children. Things that they thought might scare children that they were cutting out, anticipating the kids, you know, uh, uh, despite the fact that, you know, from certainly from when I was young starting to watch Doctor Who in the 60s that I used to watch it from behind a couch sort of you know sort of peering out and seeing stuff and being scared but that was part of the I, I guess the charm and and why mm. I love the show um, mm. and they sort of denied a lot of Australian children that sort of effect because they cut these things out thinking oh these kids aren't going to like this and this is going to scare our kids um, so yeah it's just basically a lot of middle-aged men making decisions for people I guess and um, whether it was right or wrong at the time, it's just what they did. Thankfully, they did sort of hack, uh, hack pieces out of Australian Doctor Who prints because they're any examples of those stories. So it's sort of, yes, it, it sucked at the time, but uh, we're sort of slightly grateful now, eh? Well, that was, that was the, the strangest thing, that part of the regulations for the censorship board was that anything that they asked to be cut had to be retained so it, it's funny that the the cut bits get retained i'll chuck out the actual episode but yeah we've got all the bits that we cut out you know all the scary bits they still they still exist wow. and you know all that stuff that damien found those wow. sensor clips like for a lot of them that's the only part of those episodes that exist that's right let's go back to 1965 when the 60s was certainly well they're swinging probably more in london than what they were over here given the censors attitudes and things like that mm -hmm. so doctor who was shown that it started at six o'clock the abc wanted to buy the show and they wanted to show it at um i think around six or six thirty on a sunday night but the censors uh had a look at it and said no way and they rated all of the first 13 episodes a-rated. So Charles Moses, who was the head of the managing director of the ABC at the time, Sir Charles Moses, sorry, decided to go ahead and show it at 7.30 at night in various different states as an A-rated show. The difficulty there was, of course, that that delayed its, um, its uh, broadcast by about six months, I think. Um, because of that, because they'd anticipated they had a slot ready at, I think it was six o'clock actually, and then something else after it leading into the news. Couldn't show it when they wanted to, so they had to show it after the news at 7.30. And halfway through the Romans, that uh, it remained at that time slot. Oh. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the Romans, they suddenly decided to change it to 6.30 at night. I think it was Conspiracy was the episode that they suddenly decided, oh yes, we're going to show this at 6.30 not at 7.30 anymore. And from then on, it was at 6.30. And certainly after that, and certainly after what happened with the Dalek master plan, uh, some of the, the BBC drama files has a lot, had a lot of um, information about Doctor Who. It had the, the, the forms when they purchased it, the purchase forms and all that sort of thing. But it also had a lot of correspondence to the BBC and internal memo saying, remind the BBC that we only want G-rated episodes. We only want G-rated episodes. And this is the ABC writing to the BBC requesting G-rated episodes, is that right? Yes, so they're reminding them, but most of them were internal memos saying, you know, please remind them that we only want G-rated episodes. And there's like numerous examples of this. And I, I think that most of this came after the Dalek master plan fiasco, that they weren't able to show it. And it was the ABC's decision not to show it. They decided that they're not the censors. The censors said you can show it, but you have to cut this bits out and they decided well it's just going to be incoherent we're not going to show it so they pulled the pin on it and it was the abc's decision if it had been done cut then it may have been you know 
sold to other countries who didn't cut it, like Nigeria. And, you know, Phil Morris may have found some episodes of it. You know, you never know. But by that, um, because of the Commonwealth quota at the time, because um, Australia paid for most of the royalties and it meant that, you know, poorer Commonwealth nations like Sierra Leone and Nigeria got them for a pittance and could afford them. And yeah, that didn't happen. So it wasn't sold anywhere at all. And I think that, yeah, the ABC were, yeah, they were starting to say, we only want G-rated stuff. Sorry, Mike, just on that point, when you say the ABC wanted G-rated stuff, were they trying to have an influence on the production of the show to tone down what they thought was, you know, too much violence? Or were they just asking for episodes that more match the Australian market? It could be implied that they're suggesting to the BBC, but this is BBC Sydney, by the way, that they want G-rated stuff to tone it down. But I don't think that that was ever going to fly anywhere. Like the BBC would want an Australian sale, of course, but in the end, most other stories ended up getting cut that got G-rated after Master Plan, apart from a few stories during the early days of Pertwee. It's saying we want G-rated, but it's it's not saying, you know, we want you to make sure that they they conform to our censorship standards. I think it's just sort of like, you know, we, we want stuff that's, we don't want stuff that's violent or whatever. Yeah, I don't think the BBC were really going to take any notice of that because they were creating it for a, a British audience. That's right. Now, you said that all this, uh, all these memos were going to BBC Sydney. So they were the interlocutor. We would communicate our wants, concerns, whatever, through BBC Sydney and not directly with BBC in London. Is that right? No. It, what, what happened was that BBC Sydney would receive prints and they would contact the ABC and they would say, hey, you know, we've got such and such. Uh, would you like to have a look at this and the ABC yes, say, yes, we would like to audition particular shows. In Doctor Who's example, they auditioned every single episode. With other shows, sometimes they did one or two episodes. Sometimes they wanted another episode just to see whether they liked it or not. And then they'd make a decision about whether to purchase or not. After that, there would be some interest from commercial networks, particularly comedy shows and Channel 7. Apart from that, yeah, it was really what would happen was they would come into the country, they'd be stored in the Bond store, uh, which was uh, BBC stuff, would, all, of, all of the stuff coming into the country would be in the ABC Bond store that they ran that was out at Gore Hill. Uh, so they'd be in the Bond store, they'd get them out of Bond, they'd have a look at them. There's certainly memos about uh, delays with some Doctor Whos that season six, there was quite a few of them that were sitting there for a year. Um, and there were memos about they're still in there, make a decision about them. They'd gone to the censorship board and there'd been trouble with the invasion with their um, opinion on that. Um, so, yeah, there was always things they would, the ABC would accept whether something would be cut or not. So censor would make a recommendation saying cut this, 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 this and this. And the ABC would go yes or no. Um, most time it didn't affect the story as a whole. So they broadcast it with with the cuts that became the censorship cuts we have all seen uh, that Damien Shanahan found. But sometimes there were no cuts at all and it sort of fluctuated a bit. But yeah, that was generally how it worked. So they're out in the bond store. They would look at them um, and then they would make a decision about whether they wanted to purchase it or not. I was just going to say, were those episodes viewed in the bond store? They were viewed in a viewing place. They were taken out of bond. Then brought back once they finished viewing them, yeah? It's not clear what happened about the BBC stuff. Certainly the Thames TV stuff in the early 70s was returned. Mm. to Thames in London uh, when they either rejected them. Some of them, as I said, comedy shows were generally purchased by Channel 7. They seemed to buy any anything that the ABC rejected, comedy-wise. But some stuff just didn't get 
purchased by anybody. Um, Adam, Adamant Lives, for instance, uh, was one show. Ace of Wands was another show that the ABC would have auditioned. So basically anything from the British TV centres, the ABC would have the option of auditioning them. So they'd either say yes, or if they had no interest whatsoever, they would say no. They, they auditioned everything, even the Scaffold episode of Talk of the Town. They auditioned that twice. And BBC kept trying to, and the BBC would also try and convince them to purchase things. Dixon of Doc Green, um, they were constantly saying, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And their little memo saying, you know, the BBC say this, this is really popular in the UK. And yes, it's really popular in the UK, but it's really dull and stuff like this. And they kept rejecting it, although they did purchase 13 episodes in the early 70s, which I wasn't aware of, and I don't know whether they actually showed them or not, but I've not seen any evidence of that, but they did purchase 13 episodes. Mike, mention of the Bond story set several dozen aged Doctor Who fans' hearts aflutter. Just with the Bond yes. store, can you say, let's go down, let's go there. Can you say definitively <laughs> that this Bond store, which obviously moved locations a number of times over the decades, does it, does it still exist? Do you think, or nah. has have all of it just all its contents been you know removed, destroyed, or you know sent home? What I believe was that the Bond store closed in 1985. They had a redevelopment of the Gore Hill site. They bought the site next door and they renovated it to turn it into studios. And it was part of that sort of big renovation that they did at Gore Hill. And I believe that the Bond store was closed then. And basically, they had it for the BBC and you know Thames and London Weekend TV and those, but Yorkshire TV and those sort of ITV networks. And I guess that there's probably some other way that they did that, probably used a bond store at the airport or something like that. I think it certainly closed in 1985. That's, I don't know for sure, but that's, you know, anecdotally what's been said. And it's also when they did a huge renovation at Gore Hill. So certainly wasn't there when they closed Gore Hill in 2003. Um, I think it was 2003, 2004. And they moved to Ultimo. But yeah, I think that um, I think that that's when it's sort of closed, and they they had no need for it. Things were probably a little bit different by the mid '80s, I think, and the way that they viewed stuff. And I think they're starting to get it on videotape, and these days they get stuff on hard drives. Let's deep dive a bit in terms of the '60s stories. When Doctor Who started, there were some cuts to season one. Stuff and there's Marco Polo and, and Keys of Marinus, but both yeah. those stories were rated A, and they were still cut. So you're looking at if they hadn't been cut, they would have been rated AO and wouldn't have been shown until after 8.30 at night. So both of those had edits made to them. Um, Reign of Terror also had some edits. Originally, Sensor Rights was also rated A, um, but as part of the thing with Dalek Master Plan, if you look in that file, um, they the censors had uh, sort of changed their mind about Sensor Rights and made it G. I'm not sure whether they made it A because, you know, they fell asleep and comatose and thought, well, maybe there was something in here. We'll just rate, make, make it A-rated anyway, just in case. Please make um, it stop. <laughs> yes. But uh, um, yeah, they were certainly ones that were, uh, so they were A-rated but not cut or A-rated and cut. So Reign of Terror, certainly Marco Polo and Keys of Marinus were definitely cut. Certainly Marco Polo and Reign of Terror, see, the interesting thing is it's not sure whether that was actually before or after they were repeated because they repeated school holidays time during the afternoon because originally the only repeats they did were of the historicals. They never repeated Keys of Marinus until I don't know when 
they showed that was in the 2003, yeah. So, yeah, so that was the first time it had been shown since 1965-66. But Marco Polo was certainly the first repeat of Doctor Who. This started the tradition that ran through until the mid-70s of uh, repeating Doctor Who during school holidays time in the afternoon, you know, usually, you know, after Beachcombers and Adam Ant and Terracotta Cottage and all those other shows that they used to show. <laughs> Gradually, they started repeating everything. I think the first season was the stuff that they repeated. It was up until they didn't repeat Dalek Invasion of Earth either, and that was edited. That was the second season. And that was edited because of the uh, the usual problems, knives in backs of Robomen and stuff like that. The ABC only originally purchased the first 13 episodes, and then they purchased the rest uh, of Series 1, what we know as Series 1. Then they purchased Series 2, and they sort of, it wasn't consistent because they didn't see them all at the same time. So they didn't assess them. Oh, we're going to watch season one this week. It was a case of watching it over, spread over a, a number of weeks and months. Uh, and it was when they received the um, the actual prints. And I know that in the 70s, I think it's season eight, they received them out of order. I think it was Mind of Evil before Claws of Axos or something like that, or they were waiting for the others to come so that they could actually watch them in the right in the right order. Um, so yeah, their purchase is all over the place. Um, so they don't purchase season one or season two, probably what they do now. It was like each individual story. Uh, Mike, just to go back slightly, you said that Marco Polo was the first story uh, censored and, and, uh, and, you know, clips removed from it. Those clips obviously weren't retained. They weren't found when Ellen Perry and Damien Shanahan no. went uh, looking for it. Do we? I, you said that towards the start that they had to be retained, but... Uh, censored clips, yeah, they did but... retain them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they get retained permanently or sent to National Archives. They were sent to National Archives at some stage, but National Archives decided at some earlier date than 1996 uh, that they were going to destroy these censor clips. They probably had God knows how many lots of censor clips that they would have got from the censorship board. So they would have got all the um, bits cut out of everything, movies, TV shows for the whole gamut and they probably decided that they were going to pare some of these down so they make a, made a decision to what whatever reason to destroy stuff earlier than 1965 and then retain the stuff perhaps after they're in the process i don't know what was happening whether they're in the process of thinking about destroying them as well and then damien found them i don't know um it's, it's one of those sort of who knows Mm. But, you know, archival institutions various times decide to change their mind about what they've retained permanently within their holdings and decide to do a bit of a cull um, based on changing attitudes or whatever or changing decisions or changing legislation. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to tell. Maybe um, it was just something as simple as the 30-year rule and, you know, you can't, they came up to it in 95 um, and that was it. Possible. It's possible. Yeah, but it's just conjecture, of course. So, yeah. In terms of like season two and season three of Doctor, you mentioned obviously Dalek Invasion of Earth there. Time Meddler, that was cut as well. Is that right? Yeah, Time Meddler was cut stabbing again, the stabbing of the Saxon uh, in episode four, I think. it's That was that was cut. Uh, so they really didn't like stabbings. Didn't like stabbings or knives in bodies. As... But the insinuation that one of the female characters had been raped in the Time Meddler obviously passed... Past muster, is that yeah, right? Yeah, and the same same with Keys of Marinus with um, the Trapper guys sort of giving Barbara the heavies. That got through as well, but they you know, they didn't like the brains of Morphos and that sort of stuff. So 
because I probably thought kids would be scared by that. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. But the, the censorship that was done was fairly consistent. It was diminishing the, the visual violence. Is that right? As we've, you know, we've sort of said and laughed Vis- about. Visual violence and visual shocks. So it could be like with the arc, they cut a lot of close-ups of the monoids. I don't know why, because they thought it would scare kids rather than kids these days would probably laugh. <laughs> but they decided that the close-ups of the monoids were scary, so they cut those because they were going to frighten the hell out of kids, and that was their decision. With regards to that, who were they worried about offending, though? Were, you sent us an article about I, Claudius and how yes. a politician at that time was offended by um, the, you know, the, the cutting out of a fetus um, in, in, a, in a memorable episode. I mean, obviously, politicians had a say, but were there were there any organisations in Australia that were comparable to, say, Mary Whitehouse? Uh, later, there was Fred Niles Festival of Light, but that was later. Um, certainly not as much in the 60s jumping up and down about stuff, but I guess that they thought that you don't want to show violence. Um, there were certain words in comedy shows that they certainly were, were a big no-no. And, you know, like words like get knotted and get stuffed, they, they automatically oh. got cut out because, you know, they would offend people. There was also, you know, and, and they thought that some of this stuff would scare kids. Um, and if you read some of their comments, some of the censors aren't really convinced by this argument, certainly a bit later where they go, oh, this is like, you know, this is going to scare kids, but they're going to love it type thing. Um, so the attitudes did change a little bit, a bit later on. But yeah, certainly in the 60s, it was like, no, you can't show close-ups of the monoids because that's going to scare kids rather than make them laugh. Or, you know, you can't do this, but there's violent bits which is probably fair enough with, you know, robo men being stabbed and um, Saxons being stabbed and all that sort of stuff, which is sort of like a visual violence you don't probably want in a children's program because they probably have regulations and stuff that they have to conform to and they have to say, you know, if it has any of this, don't, don't you know, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out type thing. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting what does get cut out. But, you know, certainly things like, you know, the bit in the sensor clip, the bit from Fury from the Deep when... Uh-huh. Um, uh, Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill, that's quite scary. Yeah. So that's obviously been cut because it's scary. That is actually probably a bit more genuinely scary than, you know, a close-up of a monoid. Yeah, that's the type of thing that they're cutting out. A lot of these clips yeah. are down mainly to what the the sense of viewing it, their own perceptions and what they think should be cut as opposed to having a, a checklist and say they shouldn't have, yeah, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have that. It's interesting because... Sometimes it's not clear cut because the problems they had with the the invasion, for instance, it was viewed by two censors in the ABC and some episodes were classified as A and some were classified as G. So A with some recommended cuts. But what happened there, and I know that there's some a little bit of information given in the, um, in the updated uh, Second Doctor handbook by... Damien Shanahan's article about that, where he gives a little bit more information about what happened to him with the Cybermen. But he mentions about the invasion as well and how that was delayed for a long time. But that was delayed because after that, and this is in the film assessor's note, uh, notes, is that the deputy chief censor came in and said, no, 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 all the episodes are going to be rated A. And that sort of really put the ABC in a problem. So they've obviously appealed, like they did with Tomb of the Cybermen, and that's delayed it while it's gone through this appeal. And I think it was only three episodes that ended up getting cut out of the, the invasion. But that delayed the broadcast of that for a year. Well, there's toing and froing and you know, crazy censorship things. And it could be that the deputy chief censor was a little bit more sensitive after what had happened about Tomb of the Cybermen and that they'd lost that appeal and gone, up. Nope, it's all A-rated. Sorry, 
And then they've got to go, go through the whole process of appealing that. And so the, the sensors had, had a mix. And I think it ended up being the, the, the same mix as what they'd originally said. And I think it was three episodes that ended up getting cut. And the other five were rated G. And you've mentioned Tomb of the Cybermen, Mike. Is there is there anything more to say about that based on you know what Shanahan wrote and what you've seen? Everybody knows that story is that the BBC had appealed that decision based on possibly still smarting from the Dalek Master Plan fiasco, and that they decided, hey guys, look, we're going to uh, we're going to appeal this because I think that this is wrong. And then they appealed and it was rated G for the whole four episodes, which meant that it could get purchased. And I guess they were looking at another significant story from their perspective that they would be unable to sell overseas if the ABC were unable to purchase it. And they appealed and they won the appeal using contentious arguments uh, about Kit Peddler. Um, appearing on a TV show when he was actually the writer, but they didn't tell the ABC that about children and scares and stuff like that. And that was sort of kind of, they sort of pulled the wool over their eyes a little bit there. So they used as expert opinion the person who had actually written the story that was supposedly going to be scaring the kids. Stories like this didn't actually scare the kids. Yes, he was talking about that they didn't scare the kids, yeah. And he was the actual writer, but yeah. <laughs> they used uh, his appearance on some TV sh- uh, talk show. So it's actually really quite funny, but they obviously won their appeal with the invasion as well because, you know, it, it was looking like they wouldn't be able to show it because it was all A-rated. But then, yeah, they, it cuts to three episodes. That was acceptable to the ABC and then they broadcast. And now, a message from our censors. This is a memo from the ABC to the BBC, no doubt BBC Sydney, dated the 27th of July 1967. It's noted uh, BBC, Doctor Who series DD to GG, obviously they're the story codes. In keeping with our present policy to accept all G episodes in the Doctor Who series, this is to confirm that we are interested in securing the rights to the DD to GG episodes. DD is the Tenth Planet, Double E is the Power of the Daleks, Double F is the Highlanders, Double G is the Underwater Menace. It goes on to say, we are also interested in securing rights for series HH and JJ, provided they are classified G by the sensor. Double H is the Moonbase and Double J is the Macro Terror. So clearly there were some issues there with regards to the potential or anticipated rating for those stories. And the memo concludes, we shall let you know in the near future the date we will require the rights to commence. For the Highlanders Part 1, to achieve a G rating, two cuts had to be made for Episode 1. The note here in the censor documentation is that at two minutes exactly, delete the grunt of a man after stabbing in two instances, and then at 17 minutes, delete dialogue in hanging sequence where it says, quote, take the strain, unquote. Doctor Who, serial LL, Evil of the Daleks. This serial introduces a character, Victoria, who appears in later adventures. But in addition, the action begins at London Airport, where the last episode of Serial KK ended. So there is even stronger case for playing LL only in correct sequence during repeats. And of course, KK is the faceless ones. As entertainment, it is above average for the series, with the always popular Daleks, expensive looking props, and the eye-popping finale to episode 7, in which the Daleks are destroyed. The lids blow off and their electronic brains seem to fry. Good stuff. Sensor comments regarding all eight episodes of The Invasion. Now, the rating was A for all episodes. The entertainment value was noted as following. Obviously made on a bigger budget, these episodes of Doctor Who are well above average for the series. Unfortunately, censorship is A, although it was pointed out that a previous four-part series featuring the same characters, the Cybermen, was eventually classified G. In this case, Deputy Chief Censor overruled other opinions and declared the episodes A. 
So, Mike, then we move into the 1970s in the Pertwee era. By way of comparison, can we say, did the censorship of, you know, this decade's stories, was it qualitatively different to how Doctor Who was treated in the 60s, or was it more of the same? Well, it was more of the same, really, particularly the Pertwee era. Like, first season, Inferno runs into a lot of problems. The censor decides that it's all A-rated, and the ABC makes a decision that, like Dalek Master Plan, cuts to it would just make it incoherent. They decide not to purchase it at that time. So in terms of Inferno, what were the censors getting uh, upset about? I, I don't know because I haven't seen the file because it's hard to find some of these files, but I suspect it's like the, what are they, the primords and stuff. Maybe they don't like Joe Teeth. Maybe they find that scary. I don't know. <laughs> um, pretty grim. As you say, it's, it's pretty grim. I mean, there's a dystopian feel to half of the story at least, um, you know, a yeah. fascist Britain. But... As you say, I mean, if there's a continuity between Australian censorship in the 70s as opposed to the 60s, I mean, if you can't have close-ups of the monoids, then I suppose the primords are, are, are just as guilty of, uh, you know, spooking the kids. I guess so. And I think that well, there's more sort of um, implied violence, I guess, from the, the the brigadier in the alternate universe and that type of stuff. It's certainly more, you know, fascist boot boy things that might be a little bit alarming for children, I guess. But apparently there's a lot of cuts recommended that the abc weren't prepared to cop so they didn't purchase it the same in series eight there were two stories that they didn't purchase same writer in fact my mind of evil sort of like i can understand why they didn't like that too much because it's that killer machine running and rampant it's pretty grim and scary i reckon scared the hell out of kids at the time and it's pretty full-on I remember the first time that I ever saw it, uh, the last episode, there's so many people get killed, it's unbelievable. It's like, <laughs> it really is a full-on a full on story. So, yeah, again, they rejected that, and they also rejected the demons. They could have had a lot to do with the black magic themes. You can't have that sort of thing in a G-rated program, I guess. Given the pre- prevalence at that time of, uh, you know, the Hammer Horror and uh, the amicus stuff and um, and the general rise in interest of, of Wicca and witchcraft yeah. and, and Satanism and, and demonology and all that sort of thing. I, you couldn't protect the kids from it because it was sort of everywhere in the, in the media. Certainly in the UK, you know, the uh, previously mentioned the owl service and that sort of thing, that, that sort of supernatural sort of stuff as well was starting to sort of come into children's shows, mainly made by ITV, but not solely. You know, that sort of thing was, was was fairly prevalent and they were still sort of sticking their head in the mud and yeah, they rejected all those three stories. They also rejected the Green Death. I don't think the maggots would have gone down too well there. <laughs> Although the ABC did appeal the Green Death and they did eventually show it in, I think it was 1978, they first showed it in colour. So they had colour videotapes by then. They used to audition a lot of the stuff in the 70s by now in colour but they'd get black and white tele recordings because they could only broadcast in black and white. Death to the Daleks had some cuts to it. Yeah, episode one. Yeah, the spear, because it basically this ABC print goes straight into the uh, the TARDIS scene, doesn't it? Yeah, because they, yeah, they wouldn't have liked the spear. No. Again, that's like a knife sticking out. And that was certainly the, the Pertwee ones that I remember. Certainly none of the episodes that we saw on was every year that we got to repeat spearhead from space jump into day of the daleks to the three doctors and that sort of stuff and then we get into the fun period which was the most you know the tom baker period and the philip hinchcliffe you know the gothic horror one one is surprised that anything was screened in that particular three years in australia well you know there were two stories that, that again they didn't show one of them they did show in a very truncated format which was Brain of Morbius. I remember watching Brain of Morbius. I remember it being 
listed in the Green Guide, which is for anybody out there, is a weekly paper in the Melbourne Age that tells what's on TV for the next week. There was an article about it saying, Monsters Too Scary for Kids. And they showed it at 9.30 at night for an hour. So it was a chopped down version that they'd shown in the UK. It was pretty incoherent, as I recall. But there was a lot in there that you can understand why that doesn't, that, that got rejected. Uh, you know, the bit where, uh, what's his name? Kondo gets shot and yeah. uh, all sorts of other bits and pieces that, yeah, so they didn't purchase that one. Um, well, they did but they showed it in a truncated format. And Deadly Assassin was also another one that they uh, didn't show. And and there were cuts galore to other episodes, like Talons of Wing Chiang. Pyramids of Mars, yes. Well, I did see the file for Pyramids of Mars. It's the first two episodes. So it's the, the end of episode one where um, the Egyptian gets killed and he says, you know, I am the only servant of Sutek. He needs no other. That bit got hmm. cut. And a bit later on when the poacher shoots Marcus Scarman, um, that bit got cut out. And the bit where the poacher gets squashed by the two mummies, that got cut out as well. Do the notes, are the census notes uh, in the Pyramids of Mids of Mars file, do they say, can you recall any particular comments that they've made? Or I just said that this was probably a bit too much and a bit too violent. It was fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> of course it was fun. The other file I did see was the Planet of Evil, which was rated G. There was a lot of discussion from the censors about desiccated corpses, which I imagine that they probably said that about Mask of Mandragora as well. bit of toing and froing about whether they wanted to show that or not, and in the end they did. So thankfully we got Planet of Evil um, intact without being cut. And, and of course, Talons of Wing Chiang, there's lots. Like there's the bit with the rat, anything with the rat where the rat's attacking, um, where he grabs, even though it's like obviously a man in a suit, and grabs Leela's leg. Later where it bites off, what's his name, Lee Sang Cheng's leg, uh, when you see the rat. Although you do see um, Grill's face, there's a fair bit of that as well, that they only show one shot and that's it. So if the camera sort of lingers on, you know, shows his face a bit too much, it's just, no, just show it and then go. Was there any artistry to these cuts? I mean, were they just simply shortening scenes, as you sort of indicated about Magnus Grill's face? Or well, they, I mean, were you watching along and suddenly there was this lurch and then you were at another scene? Well, no, well, not, it's, it was never quite as obvious as in Caves of Androzani. But I think that the one where it is obvious, the one that I certainly remember as being obvious was Robots of Death at the end when he sticks the injection oh, thing in yeah. um, D84's head. That bit got cut. It, it's funny that I remember it, it clearly you think, oh, hang on, there was something happened there. The cut sort of jumps. But the other ones were, I think they're a little bit better. Uh, later, the ABC did their own in-house censorship and they sort of, you know, sort of took an axe to it, I reckon, because <laughs> they did Caves of Androzani. And, and it's really obvious that, Something's been going on and it's been cut so badly because it sort of lurches all over the place in those last sort of 10 minutes. There are some positive censor comments noted with regards to Spearhead from Space. Uh, the overall censorship is uh, anticipated G for both episodes that they viewed. and In this instance, they viewed Spearhead from Space 1 and 2. Now, the entertainment value is noted as being fair to good. A new actor for Doctor Who is far from being the only change. There is a bigger budget and production is entirely on film allowing a high proportion of outdoor work. The story seems to be catering for a maturer audience. Doctor Who's young companions have been dispensed with, and it has a more orthodox present-day science fiction background. The pace is fast, the prospects eerie, and we enjoyed it. However, the serial is understood to have lost ratings in Britain because of the change of style. Now this one is for Doctor Who and the Silurians Part 7. 
where the sensor says under the section entertainment value. All the new series of Doctor Who have obviously been made on a bigger budget. The stories are more adult and better for that. Censorship on the above seven episodes came perilously close to an A rating. And they further go on to say it's a good quality telerecording. The censor comments for Inferno explain why it was never broadcast uh, when it was originally received here in Australia. Uh, they go on to say, note censorship A on the above episodes, i.e. all seven episodes. After screening and rescreening, the above decision has been reached. Originally, it was felt that the episodes could have been cut for G classification, cuts to reduce elements of horror and violence. However, cuts required by the censor would have been so drastic that continuity would have been lost. The seven episodes complete a self-contained story and may be dropped from the series easily if we do not wish to play the episodes in a time. There's a really interesting letter here in the Green Death file that Mike has managed to unearth. Looking at it, it is a letter from the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Commission it was, as it was then known to the Deputy Chief Censor. It begins, Dear Mrs Poloni, Doctor Who serial The Green Death 6x24 minutes. Further to my letter of the 2nd of March regarding the above, and to the Chief Censor's decision to consider a reclassification to G, only when the serial has been reviewed in colour. Sony colour cassettes are now available and will be scheduled for screening in our program for 9th to the 11th of May. You may wish to break the screenings up into two groups over two weeks. It concludes by saying, may I again emphasise that we are desperately short of Doctor Who serials to meet our program commitments and will happily accept quite heavy cutting if necessary to obtain a G certificate in this case. Yours faithfully, Brian Wallace, Program Officer on the letter dated the 8th of May 1978. So it just goes to show that Doctor Who for the ABC was definitely a G or general classification, but the fact that the BBC seemed to be putting out stories that occasionally ventured into a territory, at least for Australia, was causing a deal of concern for the ABC, given their clearly desperate need to have shows to fill their transmission times. I mean, you mentioned, Mark, was there any any checklist or matrix that they were working against? I don't think you could have anything like that. It was just, well, I don't like what I'm watching. Mm. The kiddies need to be protected from what I don't like, and mm. we're going to chop yeah. it out. If the people who were viewing these from, you know, the, the sensor, the Australian censors, they, they were chopping and changing the personnel and, you know, people being rotated in and out of different shows. I mean, of course it makes sense that certain things slip through. I mean, again, I'm totally yeah. surprised that, you know, the majority of the Hinchcliffe era with its mutations, its uh, infiltrations, managed to get through. Do you think about, you know, the bit in Ark in Space where you first see him where he's all green and, you know, when he's starting to take over by the Wirren, like that's pretty scary. Well, it's horrific. I mean, when you compare that against yeah. a monoid or a primord, that is yeah. that, that is utterly ghastly. And then, the, you know, the um, seeds of doom. I mean, what happens yeah. to Keeler yes. is utterly yeah. horrifying. And yet... Yeah. I have strong memories of being absolutely terrified by that and yet enjoying being terrified at the same time. It's, it's whoever the senses are at the time and, you know, they're not always the same people and they're not always the same people over a number of years. So it depends. So they would have people who would do TV programs because they'd have to look at everything to make sure that it could be shown on TV. There were things that they rejected from TV as well. That was one of their other things that was not suitable for TV, which a few comedy shows copped that as well as dramas. But it's it's kind of arbitrary. Happily, Mike has been able to, uh, in essence, unlock the censorship commentary with regards to the image of the Fendal, where there are a number of pages here, 15 pages in fact, which cover the censor's comments 
with regards to all four episodes. Now episodes one, two and four are given a G rating, so general classification. However, episode three, cuts have had to be made to get to that G rating. Now there is a page here with handwritten notes from the person who viewed it. It begins, usual sci-fi drama with tinge of a cult and theme of scientists interfering with a time fissure and causing a general imbalance. Violence is of usual Doctor Who variety, except for episode three, which has, quote, gun to man's head and pulling back of trigger as screams. Subsequent out-of-shot gunshot and follow-up of usual bloody head, or no, bloody face. And then the comment at the end there is, requires cuts here for TV, G, or general classification. And it's interesting looking at that documentation to go from the handwritten notes to then the typed up memos uh, with requests to have the cuts be made so that it can be passed for broadcast in Australia. And to that end, we have a letter here dated the 21st of July 1978 from the Film Censorship Board, which is a which is a department within the Attorney General's department. And the letter basically says, Dear Sir, I refer to your application dated the 17th of July 1978 for registrations of episodes one to four of the above series. Image of the Fendale. The videotapes have been screened by the Film Censorship Board and it has been decided to classify episodes one, two, and four TVG. Episode three has been classified TVG subject to the deletions as listed beneath and um, they just repeat what i've said before it concludes on receipt of advice from you that the cuts have been affected the certificate of registration will be forwarded to you and then signed off by rj prouse the chief censor and obviously that edited material uh, depicts uh, fendelman being shot by stahl uh, towards the end of episode three what happens in the Davison era in Australia? Caves of Androzani aside, which is its own special case. Like Black Orchid has um, cuts made to it. Certainly bits in the, in the second episode. It's one that I remember. I don't remember any others. It's later, like the, the last one, you know, Revelation of the Daleks. I remember that clearly because it's when Jovel gets killed by Tassim Becker when she sticks the thing in him. That bit gets cut out. You can't have stabbings, but you can have people turning into Wirrens. It's kind of odd. I suppose like in, in violence and something that they could that could actually happen and encourage people. You don't want kids to get up and go, oh, I'm going to kill you like Jobel, you know, with this knife or something. I, I don't know. Probably the type of thing that's in their mind, but they're not going to go, oh, I'm going to turn you into a Wirren. That's not going to happen. Revelation, they did that small snip with the knife, yet they kept the mutant in there who was quite horrific and the Dalek head in the... And Davros getting his um, fake hand yeah. blown off. Yeah, and also, you know, like Attack the Cybermen. Like, I can't remember when I first saw it, at the first, Lytton gets his hands crushed. Was that actually shown? Yes. Yes, Because that's pretty. Yeah, because that's really nasty. And mm. you see blood and you see Cybermen being stabbed. You see them being stabbed and blue stuff flying out. It's kind of odd really that you can see someone get their hands crushed and sort of cyborg get dabbed with something but you can't see a human it doesn't make sense it's inconsistent to be honest with you it's very yeah, inconsistent, it's very inconsistent yeah. where tomb of the cybermen was rejected initially because it, you know it showed harm to robot life yet yeah, attack of the cybermen you're seeing cybermen getting decapitated left right and everywhere so yes i know there's like a yeah. 20 20 years in, in between but, you know, Revelation is a case in point, small edit to one bit where the rest of it's pretty grim and violent and, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I guess censorship is always something that's going to be down to the censors at the time and yeah. who the 
people are and what their individual beliefs are really almost and what they think can and can't yeah. be shown to the general public based on what yeah, they and whether think. they're being influenced by others like in the uk you know mm. mary whitehouse running rampant over everything whether they're starting to affect things that they were making and i think that didn't i think they just decided to make it worse just to annoy you probably in the 60s you knew it was like scary violent can't have any of that but then you get into the 70s and it's like scary and violent and they're starting to cut things and ABC can't purchase things because we cut so much that it wouldn't make any sense. And then it gets to the late 70s and the early 80s. And it's like, hey, let's just, let's go. Let's have all the scary bits. By the mid-90s, there were still censorship controversies in Australia. I remember a massive kerfuffle when Salo or 120 Days of Sodom, which had been banned yes. in 1975, was screened here in Melbourne. And it was all over the media. Yeah, on the radio, I remember listening yeah. to an interview on ABC Radio 3LO here about it. I remember working at Minotaur in Melbourne at the bookshop section, and the censors here in Australia had deemed it necessary that uh, American Psycho be covered in plastic and be given an R rating. You couldn't you know, look inside the book before you purchased the damn thing, all because mm. a group sitting in an, an ivory tower thought that they knew better about what you know Australians could watch and read. I understand the impulse to protect children from you know, terrible things or bad things, but I'm a bit of a, a pro-speech expansionist, as much of it as possible within, you know, within reason, obviously. But the notion that, you know, the ABC or the Australian Census or whoever knows better than anyone else about how they regulate their own experiences or reactions to violence or, or, or whatever is something that I just find completely baffling. Why do we need to be protected from our own reactions to what we see and hear around us? It's just ridiculous. Certainly films that they pass initially or, you know, they have another look at like Salo and they decided that they were going to accept it and it was rated R which means kids couldn't get into it um, if you did it properly the kids shouldn't be able to get into it it's not the type of film the kids were going to try and sneak into anyway mm. and then it gets re-banned because particular group politicians decide start jumping up and down and get it re-banned and that's kind of ridiculous as well it's like I, I just don't understand that if it's passed and it's suitable for being passed then it's okay so as long as it's um, restricted to the audience that it should be restricted to, i.e. it's not rated G, then fine. People can go and see it if they want to go and see it. And if they don't want to go and see it, then they don't. If it's not very good, then it'll die quickly and it'll be out and no one will bother after they, after five people have seen it and gone, no, this film's not really any good anyway. And, yeah, there's no problems. But Let the public decide. I mean, I, I, again, I yeah. don't understand it. This A movie like that or a TV program like Doctor Who is made in a comparable society to Australia, a Western society, an open liberal society. So if it's good enough mm. for their societies to watch, why are we being treated like a bunch of mushrooms and just kept in the dark and basically treated like yeah. children. It's just, it's, it's crazy. I've spent the last five minutes on my high horse. Michael, you, yes. your notes to us say that the ABC started doing their own in-house censorship uh, around, you know, the mid eighties. Did that have a discernible difference uh, or, or, or change in the way the show was censored or was it, you know, just carry on as before? Well, it was much more obvious because I'm pretty sure that they did the Androzani one and also the Revelations one. So they were both pretty obvious edits. 
Androzani was just so obvious that it's just all over the place. And you just go, you know, one minute, Sheriff Jack has his mask taken off. The next minute, the Salatine robot's there. And then the next minute, the doctor's turned up and we don't know what's happened because all sorts of mm. things. And Morgus is gone. And that's it. Like, you know, okay. So I was just going to say, is that edited episode available anywhere? Is it on YouTube or Daily Motion or is it on one of the DVD or Blu-ray releases? I, I can't no, remember. Nah, version. it wouldn't be on the BBC DVDs, although they should do it on the the Blu-ray box set as a as for shits and giggles. If it is available, I, I well, I'd, I'd urge people to have a hunt around on various you know online sites to see because I remember watching it like you boys, and it was it was just it was chunks were ripped out of it and it, it just leaped around you know left and right. It, it just for Davison's swan song, it was, <laughs> it was just it was yeah, really bad. Just, it was really bad. Probably the worst example of. Um, Doctor Who censorship I've ever seen. Yeah, it was so noticeable. It's like, my God, you know. Was it six months or three months between them finishing yeah. off with Planet of Fire and then they said there was transportation issues and then <laughs> and then, and then it ran in back into season 18 and then you're going through season 19 and I think, oh, yeah, and then, turning, and then Caves turns up and it's the only part one goes for five minutes. What did I say about them treating us like mushrooms and sticking us in the dark? I mean, it's exactly that yeah. point, lying to us about the reason for the delay. Do we remember the fan reaction locally in Australia? Was Data Extract, the people writing the Data Extract with their arms up in the air screaming abuse or Sonic's uh, screwdriver here in Melbourne? Do we recall anything? So in relation to the Caves of Androzani cuts, we've actually dug up from our own archives here the uh, data extract issue July-August 1984, number 30, and it says in very big uh, bold letters, the cuts. As you are no doubt uh, aware by now, Caves of Androzani, uh, Peter Davison's final story, was cut extensively so it could be aired in the 6.30 time slot. When it was sent Mm -hmm. to the Australian Film Censorship Board, episodes 2, 3, and 4 were rated PGR, and thus they would need to be cut. These cuts episodes again went to the board and episode four was still rated PGR and had to be cut again. In fact, a total of four minutes, 14 seconds was cut from the story of which two minutes, 33 seconds was from episode four alone. What follows is a complete rundown of the cuts where they occurred, their length and what actually was cut. So I can quickly whiz through them a very high level so episode two one cut only which occurred five minutes eight seconds into the episode and lasted 55 seconds it occurs after stott says to his gun writers you can either stick with me or you can stay here stott then goes on to attack Crowper with a knife pushing him to the ground and forcing him towards the cliff with his knife at his throat. And then Stotts pulls a pill from his jacket and tells Crowper to shut his uh to that his boss has given it to him and takes 10 seconds to work. So again uh, not happy with the knife and the tone of that uh, of that particular scene. Rob, do you want to have a quick look at episode three? Well, episode three, there's one one cut only, which occurred three minutes and 39 seconds into the episode and lasts a, a grand total of 46 seconds. It occurs after Shara's Jack says, eight kilos for the next shipment, and then turns and savagely strikes the doctor. Uh, Shara's Jack then goes on to tell the doctor, when I ask a question, I do not expect flippancy, and then continues, where is the girl, where is Perry? So there's reference there to, you know, drugs or the weight of drugs, and then there's a bit of violence towards the doctor and the barest hint of perhaps some sexual interest uh, in Perry. So mm. there's a bit of that <laughs> in, in Caves of Androzani. I don't think they would have liked that. No, it gets worse in season 22. Interestingly <laughs> enough, though, where they mentioned the doctor getting struck, well, in the two doctors, the doctor gets struck by the Sontaran. Very similar in terms of the force as well, but they did nothing with that. So maybe, again, it's probably the tone of the story 
uh, compared to the two doctors at the time. But oh my gosh, episode four! Um, it's a beaut. It's there's a massive list. It's a it's a screed. Yeah. So there's four cuts which occur in this episode. Uh, the first after three minutes and eighteen seconds, which lasts for fifty eight seconds, a full minute almost. Uh, the second after about nine minutes, which lasts for another thirty two seconds. Uh, Eleven minutes in. Uh, there's another cut for 14 seconds. And the last one is at about seven minutes and 17 seconds, which lasts for 49 seconds. So we're talking about, we were saying before, it, it felt like it was been torn to shreds. It effectively was torn to shreds. We're talking, you know, a couple of minutes, two and a half minutes there. And as you were saying, Mike, off mic, anything more than a minute is a real a real hatchet job, isn't it, in broadcast television? Yeah, because it becomes obvious that something's gone. And unless you do it subtly and it's like one scene gone and there's no sort of, you know, with, with Caves of Androjani, it was going, what was going on around it and you knew that it was cut because it was just jumping all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the scene where Chellick is shoved through the door and he's screaming for Jack to open it. That's been cut. You know, there's Chellick walking over to Salatang's dead body and uh, ordering his men forward. I mean, some of this stuff seems a bit tame, but, you know, there's gunfire, there's death by boiling mud. There's all sorts of things going on here, but it, it renders that, you know, the episode throughout a little bit incoherent. There's Morgus's death is cut too, because you don't see that where he sticks him in that sort of thing where he sticks his head in it and kills him. <laughs> oh, you don't geez. see that. <laughs> <laughs> they should have cut the last two minutes out of episode four so it doesn't regenerate. That would have <laughs> saved the show. I sometimes wonder whether it was the fact that the ABC was a publicly funded broadcaster and answerable to the public, you know, and the politicians for their budget were overly sensitive in a lot of cases regarding, you know, what was cut and what wasn't. Uh, it was possible, but a lot of other things got cut. Like, you know, and a lot of it had to do with time slots and where they wanted to show them, like Batman and Get Smart was heavily cut to make it G-rated in the early days because they wanted to show it at uh, a particular time slot, whereas uh, even Captain Scarlet, there were cuts <laughs> made to that. Oh, my God, really? One of the ice ones, Avalanche, one of them, there's a cut made there. The landslide falls on the guy, I think. So in that case, then the classifications, what you had to do to be able to show that particular story or whatever to, to meet that classification, then that's what they were reaching for, we would think, that if you wanted a G slot... The G classification in Australia required that there were no overt violence or anything like yeah. that. Would you say that would be correct? Yes. And certainly later, the scary bits sort of become less of an issue as we move into the 70s. Like a show like UFO, Channel 7 decided they were going to show. There's a bit more adult than usual Jerry Anderson fare. They decided that they wanted to show that in an afternoon slot. So a lot of the episodes got cut because they're not really kids episodes really like and numerous episodes of ufo were cut um, and one of them was never shown one the long sleep that wasn't shown for obvious because there's no way you could even show that in a five o'clock thing that would have been an ao rated show it's all time slot orientated a lot of it it's like i want to show this program here take it to the censors the censors go you want to show this at five o'clock in the afternoon you've got to lose this 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 and this or yeah that's great that's fine Good on you. We passed that. That's G-rated. So you've mentioned Batman. Cartoon violence couldn't be shown for kids. So, yeah, a fair bit of that was cut. If you have a look, um, National Archives has a list of censorship cuts that they have. That um, I think it was, I think it may have been Kaleidoscope that got them to actually um, document them. There's a lot of cuts. There's a lot of cuts to the Avengers and the Invaders, which was 
both shown on the ABC originally. Mainly they were because they were shown at eight o'clock, so it was A-rated. There was certain things in there that couldn't be shown at that time slot. With the Avengers, a lot of that was the, the usual knives in backs and stuff like that. Um, so they're all violence-orientated. The same with the Invaders and other things that were, you know, as I said, Captain Scarlet, UFO. UFO was probably not shown at the right time slot. I think Channel 7 made a big mistake there. But even something like Time Slip, Episode 2 and Episode 7 were both cut. We don't know what was cut out of them, but, yeah, that was cut. That was shown on the ABC on a Saturday evening, about 6.30, I think. So, yeah, they were both cut. That was a G-rated kids show in uh, the UK, and if it got released now on um, DVD, it would probably be rated G again too. So I'll give you an example of a show that really got sort of all over the place was Steptoe and Son. Steptoe and Son, depending on what the episode was about, they fluctuated between being rated G to being rated AO. So some of them could be shown earlier, but some of them couldn't be shown until after 8.30 at night. Some of them were shown, I think, originally about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, the AO-rated one. So it depended on the episode and depended on what was being said and what the byplay was between Old Man Steptoe and, and Harold. Alf Garnet, was that ever shown over here? Uh, uh, yeah, Alf Garnet. <laughs> that would have been edited down to three minutes per episode, surely. That also fluctuated between A and AO. There was at least one episode that was deemed not suitable for television, but was actually shown. It was the one that they found, you know, the missing one they found, the last one, was Sex Before Marriage. That was deemed not suitable for television by the censors. Uh, Obviously, there was some sort of appeal there and they may have cut something out of it. There was all about promiscuity here, about, you know, um, sex before marriage and that type of thing. You know, you couldn't have anything like that. So that was, yeah, so that was banned. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that that was shown here eventually. So, yeah, and and an episode of... um, the Likely Lads of all things. It was another show that fluctuated in uh, rating depending on what the subject matter was. One of its episodes was deemed not suitable for television because they're talking about infidelity and all sorts of other things. Uh, you know, they didn't like that. And I think that episode, I'm not sure whether that episode was ever shown or not. This just raises, Mike, the incoherence of the whole censorship thing. I mean, in the early 70s, yes. wasn't it The Box and uh, was shown on uh, Channel Zero or, or what we now call 10? There was nudity and infidelity, depiction of homosexual characters. There's nothing wrong with that, but, I mean, back for that day. And yet it made it to the TV. But, again, you can't see someone being stabbed even though there's no blood or you can't show a one-eyed character on a TV screen because the kiddies will start screaming and running around and banging to the wall. I mean, it's just crazy. It's funny you mentioned Till Death to His Part. Two shows that were not cut that I'm aware of that were shown here, uh, neither of them particularly good. One is the, the the dreaded Love Thy Neighbor, and another is by the writer of um, Till Death to Us Part, a show called Curry and Chips, which was shown by Channel 7. Both of them, casual racism galore in them, but they were fine. <laughs> Mind your language made it to the TV screens here, and there was basically racist, you know, stereotyping of all the characters. <laughs> I vaguely recall the Curry and Chips show because I think my parents watched one or two episodes and then gave up on it. It was just did not go down very well in the UK either, which is why I'd died after one series again the writer was trying to make a point but it didn't make it very well in this one unlike till death to us part where there was no sympathy for elf at all it's, it's just funny that you know love thy neighbor was just riddled with casual racism and it was always shown and it was so rampagingly popular that i could and mind your language i can never understand why these shows were popular because they were crap and they were crap then yeah, and like on the buses, it was fine for having middle-aged leches looking after, you know, 20-year-old dolly birds leering after them. That was fine. But yeah, you couldn't have sort of stuff like, you know, 
implied stabbings or you know, infidelity. But you, you must remember there was a change in the censorship in, when Gough Whitlam got in in 1972. Our certificate was introduced that things became a little bit more liberal. Didn't change so much for children's television, but certainly for more adults TV, there was less cutting. Obviously, as you indicated, in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a bit of liberalisation from both sides of politics who were in charge of running censorship uh, across the Commonwealth, but it's still beggars belief overall. Literature, there was, in the late 60s, each state had their own publications board, so they could censor things as well. And they sort of, you know, they still had a sort of, most states apart from Queensland gave gave up their um, censorship board and gave it to the Commonwealth and the in the early 70s. Queensland kept on to theirs and they bet so you remember the Queensland banned some films because J.B. Occupy Peterson didn't oh, like yes. them. Yes. Uh, that Peter Jackson film Bad Taste, for instance, that was banned yes. in Queensland and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas everybody else, it was gone through the Commonwealth thing. Yeah, Queensland decided that they were going to do their own thing because that's what Queensland was like. And there were certain other TV episodes that were never shown or shown late at night because they were controversial. There was an episode of The Professionals that wasn't shown, the one where he goes undercover in a racist mob. I think it must be. Oh, yes. Klansman, that was not shown. A few other things as well. So, well, The Goodies was originally shown at about nine o'clock at night, originally. So it would have been intact, Mm. but then they decided they were going to turn it into a kid's show and cut out all the adverts because they're all fairly risque. So, Mike, before we uh, wrap things up, uh, as you indicated at the start of the uh, our conversation, you had uh, ventured up to Sydney and, and dealt with the NAA. Just uh, give our listeners a bit of a, a spiel about uh, what it was like to deal with them and what it was actually like being on their premises uh, examining all these records. It, it was interesting, actually, because, one, it was very quiet. The reading room is out sort of Western Sydney. It's in a suburb called Chester Hills. Originally, I had some sort of issues because you do it online. So you deal with reference staff and they answer your queries. And I couldn't quite get them to answer some of my questions and they didn't answer them correctly, uh, which is why I got the two um, files for Pyramid of Mars and um, Planet of Evil. I was just taking a guess from a 78 one, was hoping that I'd get Brain of Morbius, but I didn't. But anyway, it was it was okay. Once I was there, you sort of you go through and you work out what it is that you want, and then you order it. And I had tubs full of files. It took me two days, two and a half, well, one and a half days to go through them all. Um, so I went up there ostensibly for two days, but the flight was delayed. That's what happens when you go in winter. And I only got there after lunch. And the first day I was there, there was only one other person in there. And the second day, I was the only researcher. So you have a chat to the staff and you talk to them about all sorts of things and about, and because I'm an archivist by trade. I could talk to them about what they were doing. And and it was because of that conversation that I managed to get those files that are on the record search, uh, the Doctor Who ones actually classified with the actual episode names. Because I just said, and they said, oh, would you like us to do this? And I said, well, yeah, that'd be really good because that'd be helpful for anybody, which means now that anybody, someone in the UK, someone in the US can order a copy of the file for the censorship file for Dalek, Dalek Invasion of Earth and have a look at it and talk about 500, 600 photos of files. So I ordered what I could, um, what I could find that I thought would be interesting. And because it was twofold, it was censorship and also what was shown in Australia. Like I learned about the ABC process. So I learned that they auditioned material, like everything, 
Um, so they went through it to make a decision about whether they wanted to buy it or not. And then there'd be further decisions and they'd try and work out whether they could program it. I was interested in certain other things not to do with that, not to do with the censorship, like why they didn't buy Morecambe and Y Show, for instance. And I found, I discovered why. You know, it's interesting things like that. So it was masses of information that I had to, I'm just going through it at, at breakneck speed and taking photos of everything that I thought would be interesting or programs that I was interested in. So I was taking, you know, stuff about censorship of Callum and censorship of um, Steptoe and Son and Likely Lads and all these other things, Till Death to His Partner, there's a file about complaints about it. And there was one with letters from people praising the show and stuff like that. And all these sort of things to try and sort of get a picture of what was happening. And I think I sort of built up a, an idea about what was happening at the ABC in that sort of late 60s, early 70s time period. And it was a really useful activity. And um, now I need to find some more things to have a look at and go up and uh, have a look at those as well. So the NAA were holding censorship material for shows shown on the ABC and the commercial networks in Australia? There would be a censorship file for every single TV series shown in Australia in which they made a recommendation of which only, I think, 103 are listed on their website. Of those, I think more than half are Doctor Who. And I think practically everything is something of some kind of cult genre. So there'd be thousands of other things as well that are not listed or not accessible. Um, the first key is to find out how you can do that so you can look at, uh, so I can find out how I can look at some of these Pertwee series that they rejected, how I can see the Tomb of the Cyberman one. And I know that they exist because um, Damien Shanahan's made reference to them, but they're not available on their website. It's, so you, you need to request them for them to become available. The Dalek Master Plan one wasn't listed either. I knew the series number and everything because of the Damien's references, so I could order it. So it's a matter of, I think there's an index. So you've got to look at the index to find out the file number and then request the files. And that's a long, long journey, I think. Unless yeah. you know what you're looking for, mm. how do you find stuff? Well, yeah, it's, look, I'm not going to criticise National Archives here because I know they've had a raw deal with staffing and all that sort of stuff, but some of their finding aids aren't great that not everything that is is should be available is listed and a lot of it hasn't been looked at they have they have the 30-year rule but some of the stuff they haven't even assessed yet so you put in an application and they do an assessment of it and they say oh yes this can be on open access for the censorship stuff and anything to do with uh, abc records they're not they're not going to say no but they have to assess it firstly so they're sort of hamstrung by the way that they do things and their act and their regulations and stuff so yeah it's, it's a long haul but there is a lot of stuff probably there that would be of great interest to people and my last question on this particular topic before we wrap it up, what, and let's bring it back to Doctor Who, of course, because we're a Doctor Who podcast, <laughs> what material do they hold in relationship to the show? Is it simply the censorship files that you, you, know, you were looking at or is it anything else, any other paperwork generated from the moment it was offered for sale to Australia to whenever you know, the ABC's relationship with that, with that particular story ends? It's hard to say. Certainly more than just the censorship file. Like the ABC files, they have you know the assessor's files. Certainly there is an awful lot of... I was surprised at the amount of references to Doctor Who in there. Like There's memos about it. There's, oh, this thing. What do you think about this? There's the original purchase paper about, you know, we purchased this episode for two runs starting 
at this time and black and white and you know dates and stuff and how many episodes and all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of information in those files but they're called bbc drama files or something like that that's where they are sometimes their filing's not that great because i found something about um public eye which was a itv show in in amongst the bbc stuff so their filing's a bit iffy at times but just going through there and there's just all sorts of information there was the abc assessors liked doctor who so they you know it comes through that when they're assessing it that they actually really liked the program and yeah evil the daleks was the most obvious one where they praise the whole show and the comments are really interesting but there's just so much doctor who stuff there that i reckon that you could spend years there going through and you'd still find references to Doctor Who. And I think it's like, you know, the story about when Damien Shanahan came up with that uh, list of uh, returns in 1975 of Doctor Who prints. He said that he got that from various places. It's possible that there's probably various sort of bits and pieces that you put together to get the the, the full story. It's like that um, scaffold episode. Oh, yeah. they're, they're offered it several times. they rejected it the bbc gave them a list of shows that they said oh you could show these at eight o'clock and they're all these shows that they all rejected all of them uh, hmm. and one of them was talk of the town and the other was dick emery show which ended up on channel seven but no one bought scaffold as far as i know uh, unless one of the commercials did but i haven't found any reference to it being broadcast so what you're saying mike then is that there's much more doctor who related paperwork in the national archives that could be unearthed Oh, yes. And it's just a question of uh, time on the researcher's side and resources and manpower on the archive side and the ability to navigate your way through their labyrinthine and, frankly, probably Byzantine search <laughs> methods. Would that be right? Yeah. It's also tyranny of distance. Like, if these records are in Melbourne, we'd be miles ahead by now. You know, you, you need to know what it is earlier on what type of records they are you you don't know what they're like so you haven't got an idea because you can't get them copied because it's cost of, they're big thick files the cost of getting two of them copied was the cost of the flight the hotel and the car hire hence why you took photos you took five or six hundred photos on your phone yeah and they allow you to do that so if you ordered them online and they and you purchase them, they will scan them and make them available to you online. And in that sense, they also then make them available for the wider public, correct? Yeah. So what happens is that you pay, like I did for the master plan files, and then they were made available, which you download them. They send you a link. So you download them. You send that link to anybody who wants it. So if you look on their website, a little thing that looks like a page, that means that there's a digital image. <laughs> So I'd like to thank Mike for joining us on this episode of uh, the show. Mike, I really appreciate your insight and all the research that you've done, the great lengths that you've gone to going up to Sin City, dodging the traffic and the people and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and the coffee. <laughs> and the rugby. <laughs> it's invaluable what you've done. I mean, you've been kind enough to share some of those photos with us. I mean, it's dry, but it's it's really interesting stuff that you've unearthed. Uh, and I can only say more power to your arm. And hopefully there are more trips to, the, uh, to Sydney in your future. Thank you very much for having me. And look, it's just the tip of the iceberg and let's hope there's more in the future. Thanks once again to everyone for joining us. And I hope you've enjoyed our, our extensive chat about uh, censorship of uh, Australian show and Doctor Who. Uh, I've been Rob. I've been Mark. And I've been Mike. And we'll speak again soon. 
You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.